Our strategy is take the big, long, complex process called writing and break it into smaller, more manageable chunks of activity. Hello, and welcome to the Arts of Language podcast with Andrew Poudois, founder of the Institute for Excellence in Writing, or as many like to say, IEW. My name is Julie Walker, and I'm honored to serve Andrew and IEW as the Chief Marketing Officer. Our goal is to equip teachers and teaching parents with methods and materials which will aid them in training their students to become confident and competent communicators and thinkers. In preparing for what we're going to talk about today, Andrew, which is attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, ADHD, I realized I had an aha moment. I realized that the reason our podcasts are short are for me (laughs) (laughs) because I have a little bit of ADHD. And although I'm not officially diagnosed, I have two sons that were diagnosed ADHD. One was very young. And one was not diagnosed until he was an adult. Mm -hmm. So the one that was young, probably on the spectrum of mild to severe, his was more severe, which is why we caught it at an early age, so to speak. Right. The other one was like, oh, huh, that explains a lot of things when he got his diagnosis. So I thought it would be good for us to talk about You know, well, my my two youngest children are now convinced that they have Mm -hmm. this. And they are also convinced that I do, too. (laughs) Although, you know, when I was a kid, nobody, this didn't even exist. So it has been interesting to see as people have learned more and more and more that, like anything, it's it's a double-edged sword. It's it's got some challenges, but it's also got some advantages. Exactly. Well, and if you and I have ADHD, for reals, Mm -hmm. we are in good company. Let me give you a short list of people that I found were actually diagnosed or maybe post-humorously yeah. diagnosed. Post-humorously? Or, well, you, you know. <laughs> Posthumously. Posthumously. I mean, they died and then people yes, figured yes. out their th- situation. Or yeah. maybe we can look back and laugh at them. Okay, so let me list a few names. Michael Phelps, swimmer. Right, yeah. Terry Bradshaw, football player. Oh, okay. Michael Jordan, classic. He was a basketball player. And then he said, I want to go play baseball. And then oh. he went back to basketball, and now he's the owner of the Charlotte Hornets, which is a ba- professional NBA team. So he's definitely varying his interests. Oh, okay. JFK. You mean John Fitzgerald Kennedy? Yes. Not an athlete, but certainly one that has— um, I mean, but how would anybody know? I mean, how would they decide that JFK had ADHD? Looking at all of his varying interests, but we're not going to go into that because some of it may be a little bit sordid. All right. Walt Disney— that's I can no see. surprise. <laughs> yeah, right. Jules Verne. Well, again, mm-hmm. how would you know? Mozart. Hmm. Albert Einstein. Well, that's not a surprise. Yes. And so all of these men, and I'm sure there's women on that list too, exhibited some of these characteristics. Do you have a list of people who don't have ADHD? <laughs> <laughs> no. I okay. don't. <laughs> well, according to— I, I think I've known some women who think they caught it 
from their kids. <laughs> oh, that <gasps> that could be it. That could be it. Well, according to the little bit of research that I did, and of course, you and I are not experts on this, but the research that I did, 11% of school children have ADHD. A, a diagnosis. Yeah, a, yeah. Oh, maybe not a diagnosis, but maybe exhibits. Well, symptoms. I think until today, when you just told me before we started this, I thought that ADD and ADHD were actually two separate things, but right. clarify that for us. Sure. So ADHD and ADD, it used to be two different terms, but mm-hmm. what they did is they actually, and this is according to the DSM-5. Do you know what the DSM-5? Diagnostic and Statistical Manual? Exactly. When I was in college, we were only on DSM-4, but now we've grown up and now we're on DSM-5. Mm-hmm. But they are the ones that said ADHD is actually one thing. And ADHD, the first form of it is predominantly in inattentive presentation. So you're not paying attention. You don't give close attention to details. You make careless mistakes. You have a difficulty sustaining attention. You appear not to be listening. You struggle to follow through with instructions. A few other things that we can put a link in the show notes that share that. The ADHD that's predominantly hyperactivity with impulsive presentations. Fidgets with their hands or their feet. They squirm. They have difficulty remaining seated. I'm laughing at this because one of the things, one of the mistakes I made, this is where I admit, dear listener, that I am not a perfect parent <laughs> or teacher, but you already knew that. I actually took a belt to my son, but not in the way that you're thinking. I took a belt and put it around <laughs> him. You tied him to the chair? To try and remind him. It wasn't tight, but it reminded him to stay in his chair. But this is, has difficulty remaining seated. Well, we finally just gave up on that and let him have a sand maybe, maybe that's why so many people... You know, they think they're doing homeschooling, but they're actually doing car schooling. That's true. Because they have to stay in the belt legally. Oh, that's true. That's true. Yeah. Uh, Another thing with the predominantly hyperactive, impulsive presentation is they run about or climb excessively, and that's a you know, in children, or extreme restlessness in adults. So that's one, two. And then the third thing is a combination of both. Mm -hmm. So I would say that in my case, looking back, my sons displayed both of those characteristics. They they had a hard time sustaining their attention unless it was screens, which go back to our conversation about screens and how that's not a good solution either. But there we go. That's kind of the idea of what ADHD is. But why would we be talking about this here on the Arts of Language podcast? Well, I'm assuming that you believe there's some way that our work at IEW helps parents and teachers who have kids that would fall into this category, which the way you've described it would probably include just a majority of boys. Well, and and that's, that's true, but there is a qualifier here. In all of these symptoms that I just described, one of the things that you're looking at is this crosses over home, school, any environment mm-hmm. that you're in, and it's prevalent most of the time. So, you know, if you've got a kid that needs more sleep or is not eating well or is acting up at church or something, that doesn't mean they're ADHD. Okay. But if they're doing it across the board and you're seeing it everywhere, I, I, I'm i just going to jump in right now and just let you know some of the compensations that I made for sure. my yeah. one son. 
in particular, we just shortened his assignment. His times were 20 minutes, and then we'd skip to the next thing, Mm -hmm. 20 minutes and sometimes even less. And that helped him because he knew it was going to end. And so he would exert his will over his fidgetiness, knowing that if I just stay at my desk five more minutes, then I can— then I'll be free then to move on to something over and right. something else will happen. And, I, and that something else oftentimes was a running break. Like, okay, go outside and run and run, you know, run, forest, run. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely gave him a stand-up desk. Um, one thing that we also gave, I mentioned, was letting him see just kind of a timer. Like he would know when the timing mm. was ended. But oftentimes, like when we were in public, he, w- he did um, musical theater. And wow, you know, when your kid's on stage and he's got ADHD, this can be actually really embarrassing, right? But I, during the rehearsals, was right there with him, not on stage, but, you know, nearby. And just basically I called it mommy control because he didn't have the self-control. He wasn't able to, at least initially, exercise his own will to overcome his hyperactivity. So, Mm -hmm. Well, before we get too far into it, I'd be curious to know what are some of the advantages when, uh, you know, a person with some degree of ADHD, I think we could argue almost everybody has some degree, but Mm -hmm. when that is, you know, that can be a, a challenge or a burden or an impediment in some ways when you're young, how does that become an advantage in life as by these famous people, right? obviously successful, contributed a lot to our world. So what is it about ADHD that's the other side of the sword, so to speak? Sure. Well, we know there's no such thing truly as multitasking. You cannot do two things at once. You can't have in mind thinking about one thing and thinking about something else successfully. But a person who has ADHD is able to do a lot of plate spinning. Because they can switch back and forth very easily, more facilely than someone who's not got that neurological advantage. Exactly. Okay, well, that makes sense. Yeah. And so I would say that that's <clears throat> the biggest advantage right there. And Yeah. I yeah. think there's also a high percentage of entrepreneurs yeah. had either dyslexia and or ADHD. Right. And I think, you know, ADHD, it can even be like a severe form of it. You can't even ignore your clothing rubbing against your skin. ADHD ultimately is you can't not pay attention to your environment around you. You're hearing, you're seeing, you're feeling, you're smelling, you're tasting, you're you're touching things that most people have trained themselves to ignore it. It's like overstimulation. So you live in a a more sensory-rich experience in a way, for better or worse. Right. So that explains the entrepreneur thing because, Mm -hmm. wow, you see the need for something that doesn't exist, and so you work to create that. Mm -hmm. Or you have some clothing that's terribly uncomfortable, so you invent something that's less (laughs) uncomfortable. Perhaps so. Well, you know, Einstein didn't wear socks. Okay, because they bothered his feet. He wore baggy clothing because he was more comfortable. Okay. So there you go, Einstein, ADHD. Okay, back to the arts of language and how does, and of course, speaking about my own son, the one in particular, of course, he grew up learning structure and style more so than the other ones because he was the youngest. Mm. And so he had it at an earlier age. And I actually 
attended class with him, a student writing intensive that you taught live. And you, <laughs> you didn't even know me then. No. But no. you said to me, because you welcomed parents to attend the class with their students. You said to me, well, he didn't get much done on paper, did he yet? <laughs> <laughs> no, but he got a lot more down on paper than he ever had before. Mm. Well, of course, I am always suggesting to parents, hey, sit with your children mm -hmm. if you need to. And you know, that's one of the advantages of, of a class like that, yep. a homeschool co-op flexible situation. Because yep. most children in schools, well, mom can't sit next to them the whole time. Right. But there is that, you know, hey, come on in. Come mm -hmm. back, come back here. Mm -hmm. We're doing this right now. Right. So that's, you, you know, the other thing that I think you probably did to accommodate, and I think we did, maybe not intentionally because we thought, oh, there's an attention challenge here, is just reading aloud. Yes. A lot mm -hmm. because the kids themselves couldn't sustain the independent reading. Exactly. They could read for a little bit, but then the world is calling. Whereas with reading aloud, well, you know, they could play with blocks or Legos or draw pictures or jigsaw puzzles. Um, That's or, or what stand, he did. Yeah. You know, practice standing on the head. Um, <laughs> so I think you know we see that parents who do take the time to read out loud mm -hmm. to their kids who are not likely to be easily able to read a lot on their own, that's going to make a huge difference in their language aptitude yep. forever. Yep. And But you, you mentioned a key thing, though, is allowing them to do something else with their hands and so that they can have that sustained attention with their ears and their imagination. Yeah. Okay, so <laughs> I keep asking the question and I keep getting distracted. How ironic. How does structure and style help students who struggle with attention deficit and hyperactivity? Well, you know, we talked about this with the dyslexia podcast we recorded recently, mm -hmm. addressing the fact, the problem, the challenge that writing is extremely complicated. Yes. The process of finding an idea, speaking it into existence holding that idea in your memory while you go and wrestle the mechanical information to record the first word of that sentence and holding it long enough to go get the second word and holding it long enough to go get the third word. That's a level of sustained concentration, mm -hmm. which some children are more apt for. And I think because the dyslexic student can get visually overwhelmed, they, it starts to break down. Well, the same thing's going to happen with the process being so long and so complex, attending to it for a long enough time to get progress is hard for the ADHD. Sure. So our strategy is the same. Take the big, long, complex process called writing and break it into smaller, more manageable, and in this case, even potentially isolated chunks of activity. Yep. So that keyword outline that you do on Monday maybe takes 15, 20 minutes. Or less, depending. Mm -hmm. on, you know, if you're following our guidelines, which mm -hmm. is source text should be at or below the reading level of a student. You read the source text out loud if necessary, sometimes a few times, which is, as I mentioned, for the dyslexic student, particularly helpful in terms of they often have good auditory memories. Mm -hmm. So you just be sure that it's clear 
the, the words are understood, the ideas are visualized in the brain there. And and even to, and I know you ha- you recommend this for all students, and I know that for the structure and style for students, year one, level A, actually all of them, you're having the students, at least for units one and two, underline the key words and then transfer them to the page. And I think even that step, that's breaking it down even further. It is, and, and it's creating interactivity. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you're just reading something, it's a bit more passive. But if you're reading and marking something, yep. and you know, we continue that into unit four and six as right. well. Right. And you know, even Mortimer Adler, who I don't know if he was ADHD or what, <laughs> but uh, you know, Mortimer Adler in his book How to Read a Book mm-hmm. strongly promoted interacting with the book as you're reading it, underlining, putting words in the margin. Yeah. And I think that helps sustain attentiveness mm-hmm. for everyone, but particularly critical for the person who is more easily distracted by additional sensory input. Exactly. One thing I found interesting is I never liked to hear music Mm -hmm. while I was reading. I found it really hard to read and listen to music at the same time. I still do. Hmm. In fact, I don't really like music unless I'm doing nothing except listening to the music. Mm But I had one daughter in particular, and I think she would fall in this category, though we didn't really banter these words about too strongly when she was that young. She needed to have headphones on listening to music in order to do anything Mm. for more than a few minutes, Mm. um, whether it was reading or doing math or writing. And I guess it was part of that helped me insulate myself from more chaotic sensory input by putting in controlled sensory input. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I thought that was very interesting. Um, But with, you know, with our structure and style, we find that students who you described, the the son who was in my class, and I said he didn't write much, and you said, well, it's more than he ever did before. (laughs) Um, You know, we hear that Mm -hmm. uh, quite often is because we are able to create a process and finish in a short time add to that process, finish, add to that process, and finish. And though my classes, you know, generally I try to run them about an hour and a half or so just so we can get enough done Mm -hmm. in the home or the full-time classroom, uh, that whole process can be broken into very small pieces. And, of course, we do that in the SSS. We give people an option. Mm -hmm. You don't have to watch this whole thing in one setting. And so that's uh, very helpful. And then one thing I always like to point out to parents is I I will say something like more frequent, shorter assignments are better. Why? Well, what do kids love the most about schoolwork? Being done. Yeah, being finished. That's what's satisfying. That's Mm -hmm. that's that. That's that sense of completion. Like, I did this, mm-hmm. and now I'm done. I can go do something else. Yeah, and you talk about the endorphins that you get when you finish something. And right. That's just like, there's a drug right there. Yeah. Yeah. And, so, and, and, and even with older kids and really longer assignments, the trick is to break it into smaller chunks, yep. smaller pieces. But that's, that's a life skill, mm-hmm. too, isn't it? Yep. I mean, you, you work a lot. <laughs> I will tell our listeners, you are one of the most hardworking, skilled managers and writers and accomplishers that I personally know. 
But I also know how you like to chunk your time. I do. And you like to say, I'm going to do this for this amount of time and then stop. Yep. And then go do this other thing for this amount of time. And you get a lot more done mm-hmm. uh, that way. Whereas, yeah. I, you know what, what phrase comes in my head, Andrew? It's from your <laughs> Nurturing Competent Communicator talk where you died in Mordor. That's how I feel when I'm going down a path and I'm, I've been in it too long, like I'm doing budgets or something. And it's like, I, I got to stop. I'm dying in Mordor. <laughs> it's just long and boring and tedious. Well, we'll just qualify that by pointing out that your MBA was in marketing. It's true. <laughs> not budgets, but it's nevertheless. Uh, kind of have to do it all. You know, it, it is that case where if we can be sensitive to our students and adjust accordingly. Yes. But I also believe there's an argument to be made for cultivating longer attention span. Agreed. I mean, we don't want these labels that we give to kids or people to become really an excuse Mm -hmm. for not challenging improvement. Yep. You know, it'd be like if I said, well, you know, I'm just, I'm not strong, so I shouldn't exercise. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, that's like stupid, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) If if you're not strong, (laughs) that's even a bigger reason to Mm -hmm. exercise. And if you are strong and you want to maintain strength, or get stronger. So I think we can look at attention in in a similar way. Some people maybe have a a better aptitude for extended periods of attention than other people, but that doesn't mean that people can't expand or improve their span of attention. Agreed. Yep. But it kind of has to be done in the right way, mm-hmm. right? I mean, again, back to the exercise analogy. If I just said to myself, well, I'm not strong and I want to be stronger, so I'm just going to do whatever for as long as I want. Well, that wouldn't really be a program. Right. That wouldn't be a method. It would have no structure. It would not even have style. (laughs) And it would be ineffective at helping to solve my problem of not being strong. Right. Right. So what do I need? I need a plan. And this is what I think we, we see curriculums that are effective are not only effective because the student has a particular challenge, but they are effective because they help to improve the weak side of that neurological circumstance. Yes. Yes. And you've done some research on even learning cursive can be something that can help a student with ADHD. Yeah, that Mm -hmm. that almost um, blew my mind. I don't have the details here, and I I don't know that it's available anymore, but it was for decades, uh, if I recall, a program called Train Your Brain. Mm. And it was this argument that you could actually improve or, I guess, alleviate the symptoms of ADD or ADHD by increasing attention span through, get this, cursive writing practice combined with rhythmic music. Okay, sure. And she had a lot of documentation on Mm -hmm, this, um, mm -hmm. more than I would even want to begin to look at. (laughs) Um, But the, the thing that struck me as being interesting here is, you know, if you have a very, very short attention span and you are printing words on paper, right? You write a letter, you're done. What's next? 
right? But in cursive, you are forced by the nature of the activity mm -hmm. to connect your letters. Yep. And so you can't just write one letter and be done. You have to write one letter and then the next and the next and the next, and then you can be done. And then I'm wondering if that rhythmic music that she used in her program wasn't similar to what my daughter experienced, whereas if I hear music, I won't hear somebody talking about this over there or this little sound or the door slamming over there, that it creates a, almost a focus, mm -hmm. uh, a tunnel of, of sound that is insulative against other distracting sounds, I suppose. Yeah, right. Which for people like that, your traditional go study in the library where it's <laughs> supposed to be quiet – but the quietness actually amplifies every other little sound that happens. Mm -hmm. So kind Turning of interesting. pages, the librarian shushing people, click, oh, yeah. But, uh, you know, I think our approach to teaching writing does that too because we tend to, in Unit 1 and 2, we start with very short things. Mm -hmm. In fact, I've even had some parents who, who look at it and say, but, but, but what about when this kid has to write a, a real paper, right? <laughs> as if you know one paragraph wasn't real. Mm -hmm. And then what we, of course, like to help everyone understand that even a great, huge, long thing, you know, a senior thesis or even a master's level yep. thesis, is really a collection of paragraphs. Yep, right? yep, exactly. A, a great, huge, long thing is really a collection of shorter things. Mm -hmm. And yet, it seems a lot of people just never learned how to take a big, long thing and break it into those smaller pieces. Right. Especially right. when it comes to writing. So you meet a lot of people who, you know, kind of procrastinated to the last minute. It was due tomorrow. So they pulled an all-nighter and mm -hmm. hammered it out. And, and okay, you know, it worked. They passed. But was it of the quality, right, that would be as good as that person could do had they the strategy to break it into smaller parts. So, you know, I love Webster's approach. Yeah, start with really short things, and then you, we move in unit three to three paragraphs. Mm -hmm. For some kids, that's a big jump. Right. And, of course, you don't have to do all three paragraphs in one setting. You know, you can do one a day or one every other day or however long it takes. But the end product is three, mm -hmm. and you see how you got there. Yep. And then we get into unit eight, right? Seven, eight, nine toward the end of our system. And those are generally five or more paragraph compositions. Well, that seems like a whole lot to a child, but if they have come along our pathway, yep. oh, so you write one paragraph and then you write another and then you write another and then you write a conclusion, then write. And boy, I never wrote five paragraphs mm -hmm. before. We see that a lot with yes. these, yep. you know, 10-year-old kids who get into one of the theme-based books. And at the beginning of the year, the mom's like, he's never going to be able to do it. And by the end of the year, it's like, that was so much easier than I thought. Exactly. One of the things that was very important to me when raising my son was that he didn't make excuses for his disability, so to speak. I knew he had to stand in line at the DMV just like everyone else. And somehow this needed to be trained. Mm -hmm. This needed to be this idea of just uh, making excuses for his bad behavior. That was not that was not okay. What we wanted to do was stretch him and help him grow while at the same time, you know, 
capitalizing on his strengths. I mean, right? Isn't that and, ideally? And the creativity. You know, mm-hmm. you were talking about that uh, idea of the mind moves very fast in this multitasking. Mm-hmm. And there are students who they they can be interested in a whole lot of things all at once. But then we've talked about this many times before. Creativity isn't some completely new thing. It is the combination and permutation of previously existing information. Right. And so you look at some of the people on your list, Walt Disney, Edison, Einstein, part of their innovative ability was that they had that expansive interest experience database of stuff to put together. And this parallels, you know, very closely with our approach to teaching writing mm-hmm. is the using of source texts and stories and and information so that when they do hit this now write about something, well, they've got more in there to attach stuff to and pull out and then use that law of combination and permutation to demonstrate a level of creativity far beyond what they may not have. So, uh, you know, I think, yeah, I would say our structure and style approach is perfect for people (laughs) with ADHD. Agreed. So listener, if you have a student that is a future Einstein, Michael Jordan, Walt Disney. Or Julie Walker. (laughs) We're here to help. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify. Or just visit us each week at IEW.com slash podcasts. Here you can also find show notes and relevant links from today's broadcast. One last thing. Would you mind going to iTunes to rate and review our podcast? This really helps other smart, caring listeners like you find us. Thanks so much.